0: Well, my apologies there, folks, but there's Action Line right now. So, good morning, everyone. Today's program looks at the May edition of Alaska Economic Trends. In this first part, we're joined by economists from the Alaska Department of Labor and Workforce Development's Research and Analysis Unit. Karina Weibold and Eric Sandberg are here to talk to us about the article, Where Alaskans Relocate in the State. Good morning, you two. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> so, Eric, what brought you to write this article? How big is the role that in-state migration plays towards population?
1: Well, it's a topic that's been on a lot of people's mind at all times. Migration is very big in Alaska, particularly for the population of rural areas. So we've had a series of migration articles in the last few years and trends to try and bring shed light on the issue. And for in-state migration specifically is something we had not yet covered. So this article looked at migration just for people who are moving within the state mostly for people who cross a borough or census boundary they make up about a quarter of all about a quarter of all movement of people across a borough or census boundary do it entirely within the state so you had wrote that
0: in-state migration in the last 20 years declined by
1: 25%. How did the pandemic affect that? Well, it increased the decline so to speak. It about 20 years ago about 19,000 people moved across a borough or census area in the year about the year 2000-2001 and that has dropped to just over 14,000 in 2020 to 2021 and the pandemic it would dropped that number dropped more steeply than any time in the last 20 years during the tw- 2020 to 2021 year it dropped about a thousand people so whether that continues or not we'll have to see but it's the for the one year of data we have for the pandemic it caused a steeper drop a, a noticeable impact yes so As a
0: resident looking to move somewhere else in Alaska, you could go either to a rural community or urban. Where did you find residents migrating to?
1: Well, generally, they migrate to urban areas for they uh, tend to the destinations tend to closely match the state's population, so more populous urban areas receive about a proportionate share of migrants but for rural areas in state migration is a larger factor both in people who leave rural areas tend to stay within the state and rural areas tend to get migrants from in-state versus urban areas which are while they receive most of the in-state migrants in-state migrants make up a smaller percentage of the newcomers moving into a place like Juneau or Anchorage.
0: And so the out-of-state
1: migration is bigger in urban
0: communities. Yes. Okay. And give our listeners a frame of reference here. Which part of rural Alaska are we talking about?
1: Well, the highest, basically when I say rural Alaska, basically, I mean, the areas kind of outside of the five major boroughs. So. Anchorage, Matsu, Kenai, Fairbanks, and Juneau. And for areas outside of those major boroughs, in state migrants are a large proportion of the majority of the in migrants and out migrants who come into and leave the community. But for those five urban boroughs, the uh, in migrant, even though they take in the largest share of in migrants in migrants or in-state migrants. Uh, make up a smaller percentage.
0: And what's the pattern for Southeast?
1: Well, Southeast is kind of interesting when we look at in-state migration because for other parts of the state, there's a lot of migration in between various economic regions. So you have people moving from the northern region to Anchorage from the interior to Anchorage, Anchorage to Southwest. For in-state migration within Southeast, it tends to be more localized. People in Southeast don't tend to move to other parts of the state. If you're moving in Southeast and you're staying in state, you tend to move to another part of Southeast. So often, Anchorage or Petersburg to Juneau or Haynes to Juneau, or Prince of Wales to catch a can, so southeast is unique in that regard.
0: So, if the rural communities are seeing this in migration, what does that mean for urban communities? Where are people typically coming from?
1: So, for urban communities for in-state migration, it depends on the part of the state. For Anchorage, which is Sort of the axle of the wheel, so to speak people are coming from all over At least outside of southeast they Anchorage gets some migration from Juneau, but for Anchorage about 40% of places in the state of Alaska Anchorage is the top destination so that it's not just south-central like the Matsu or the Kenai but also all the way down the Aleutian chain on the North Slope and some parts of Western Alaska, but also, yeah, Copper River Basin. For the interior, Fairbanks is, of course, the hub city. So Fairbanks draws in people from all through the Yukon River Basin and uh, the Alaska Highway. But here in Southeast, Juneau is the hub for Pretty much Wrangell North, so Sitka, Wrangell, Petersburg, All Huna and Angoon people. If they leave the those areas and want to stay in state, they tend to come to Juneau.
0: So, over the last twenty years, who gained the most in in state movers?
1: Well, it roughly matches the proportionate, but yeah, it's the Anchorage matsu region gain the most in in-state movers, about 54%. The uh, interior, Alaska, second, 13%. Gulf Coast, 12%. Southeast, 10%. Those percentages are roughly proportionate to their total population.
0: And let's talk about the routes in the state, because you found that many are in decline.
1: Yes. We, when we look at the overall decline the question is well how many uh is that everywhere across the state or is it just certain routes dragging that that number total number down and we looked at it and it is pretty across the board uh for the sake of space i had to cut down to 12 major routes in the article they're mostly the economic back and forth the economic regions between Anchorage but also internal southeast migration and the migration between Anchorage and the mat boroughs and everywhere except the migration between Anchorage and Mat-Su borough sees, have seen fewer migrants than they did 20 years ago and what did you find interesting about that? well I mean it's We kind of tend to think of the migration of people moving out of rural Alaska into urban Alaska is constantly growing, that the rural areas are just completely emptying out. And the truth is that it's not, the numbers are not as high as they were 20 years ago and there's no, and if they are about the high, they're not growing, so there really is not some increasing number of people leaving rural alaska
0: and you had broke down the data even further down to gender so how does that factor in what did you find
1: yeah that was one of the more interesting findings in that women now tend to move more within alaska than men which is different from the movement of people into and out of the state i did an article a couple years ago looking at migration into alaska and out of alaska and it's still mostly men about 120 per 100 women but in in in-state migration is now mostly women about 96 men moving for uh, per 100 women and it's not a huge difference in ratio but it has Changed over the last twenty years. About twenty years ago, is still about one hundred and ten men moving per hundred women. And I looked at it; as a very interesting result, but I don't have a very good explanation. <laughs> so,
0: in in terms of out of state, men are it's the data is skewing men yes. leaving the state, but within the state, yes, you're seeing women move more
1: mm-hmm. which is interesting because we're still the state with the highest male to female ratio it's still a 105 men per 100 women in the state and uh but we i looked at it and i thought well perhaps it's just that the reason with the overall decline the reasons that men move more often maybe construction jobs or just uh taking other jobs has declined more than the reasons that women move but it's something that requires further study
0: (laughs) so what about the age aspect there was a lot of 20 to 35 year olds moving
1: yep yeah when you compare the age of migrants versus the age of the total population it the number of the migrants skew younger that's not really surprising younger people are more unsettled in life they less likely to own a home more likely to change jobs and more likely to seek new opportunities so basically vast majority of migrants are under the age of 35 is there anything you'd like to add eric uh no we've covered the article hopefully people go out and read it It has a lot of good information Very good. And Karina, is there something you'd like to add?
2: Yeah, there kind of is. You know, I think that this article is so interesting and there's three of us in the room here. I was kind of wondering, um, among us, if we have out-of-state migrants, in-state migrants, or if people are still in the place that they were originally born or moved to in Alaska.
1: Well, I am an in-state migrant. I was grew up in Anchorage, but now I live in Juneau, so I've kind of gone the other way of the usual route. (laughs) it's a pretty
0: fair question I mean I'm I'm here from Mm -hmm. Juneau I was born in Anchorage but very quickly brought back here to (laughs) Juneau so I'm I've lived here so I wouldn't really say I've migrated yep
2: yep that's a good one um I grew up in Fairbanks. I lived on the Kenai for a very short amount of time when I first returned to Alaska from out of state. And uh, then I came down here to Juneau. So I would consider myself to be like (laughs) the whole combination of a true Alaskan-born resident and in-migrant and an interstate migrant. So a lot of things going on there. But it's interesting to look at how Alaskans move, because I think we know in our our communities that people move a lot. And it's really interesting when you meet Alaskans who have been in the different parts of the state because we're so different. So I really appreciate you kind of highlighting that stuff, Eric.
0: I'm glad you piped up, Corinna, because you also penned an article about national park visitation. Tell us about that.
2: I did. I took a look at Alaska's national park visits comparing 2019 pre pandemic to 2020, the first year of the pandemic, and 2021, when we did see some return of out of state visitors. And it was really interesting. When you look at national um, t- park visits, the first year of the pandemic, they were hit uh, about 28% decrease over the year before, but Alaska saw um, about three times as much of an impact in our national parks. So in 2020, the first year of the pandemic, we lost 86% of our national park visits. And Alaska is pretty interesting because we have eight national parks, but we only have, they're very different in size. So the two largest, as far as the number of visitors are Glacier Bay down here in Southeast and then Denali. And they both have an average annual number of visitors of over 600,000, but several of our parks have less than 100,000 or less than 20,000 visitors per year. So when we look all the way up at Kobuk Valley or Gates of the Arctic, they're they're ranging less than 20,000 visitors a year. Very remote areas.
0: I think with so much space too, people would go. Mm
2: -hmm. The the amount of space, the the need to have open air activities for that, especially in the first year of the pandemic, really did drive national park visits nationally and within Alaska. Um, In 2020, we went from Almost 2 million visitors in 19, down to about 300,000 in 2020. That's a huge decrease. But those uh, 265,000 visitors here in Alaska to the parks were most likely Alaskans, and we can take a look at where they were going, which is pretty interesting. And Kenai Fjords, which is attached to the road system and close to the population centers of uh, Anchorage, Mat-Su, and, of course, the Kenai Peninsula, had a lot more visitors in 2020. They only lost two-thirds of their visitors, not 86%. And then in the second year of the pandemic, they were actually above 2019 levels. So, In-state visits to these parks really increased in Kenai Fjords, plus we had some um, independent out-of-state visitors. The biggest impacts that we saw were in Glacier Bay and in Denali, and those are the two largest parks that are very popular with tourists. Glacier Bay gets tourists coming in on the cruise ships and comes in that way. They dropped 99% in the first year of the pandemic and only rebounded to 13% of normal in the second year. We didn't have really cruise ships in the second year of the pandemic. That's going to be very different this year, and it's going to be really neat to look at it. Denali lost uh, 91% of their visitors in the first year of the pandemic, and then bounced back to um, nearly 40% of normal in the second year. And Denali was an, another one that's really interesting because being on the road system and centrally located between Anchorage and Fairbanks, it's a big popular. Uh, potential to have in-state visitors to those areas mm. and Denali opened just based
0: up from locale
2: just based from locale yep we, we, do, we get a lot of visitors who come up on the cruise ships on the trains and on the buses but we have at- Alaskans who can access the park as well and they really showed up in 2021 to do that and the park opened up some roads that weren't normally open to visitors so that we could get a little bit deeper in the park independently and without being on mass transit like the bu- like the uh, buses so um, yeah it's going to change a lot this year though both of the our two largest parks are probably going to see near normal numbers of visitors if this cruise ship and visitor season looks like normal and then like I mentioned Kenai was already above pre-pandemic levels and uh, we should be seeing some return to more normal numbers in most of our largest parks it'll be a little bit more of a question for like Kobuk Valley and gates of the Arctic that are very remote but like I said they tend to have very few visitors anyway
0: well thank you both for coming in today it was our pleasure yeah thank you and There's going to be even more trends coming up after the break, so stay tuned. We're back with the State Department of Labor talking about the May edition of Alaska Economic Trends. In this part, we are talking with economist Neil Freed to discuss the article he penned regarding seafood, the seafood economy of Kodiak. Neil, tell us why you penned this article
3: one is we hadn't written one for a long time, and I started looking at it. And, you know, Kodiak is really a a pretty remarkable, very sort of atypical fishing town in Alaska. And that's saying a lot, because we have a lot of fishing towns in Alaska. But, you know, Kodiak is, I think, remarkable for a number of different reasons. One is it's just not talked about a lot, even though it's one of the powerhouses in the state. It has one of the largest fisheries in the country. It's definitely probably the most diverse fishery uh, in the state. And we just don't hear a whole heck of a lot about Kodiak on a regular basis. We hear a lot more about Bristol Bay and and, and other places. And, you know, fishing has been Kodiak standby for, you know, 150 years or more. So it's just, it's, it's an interesting place with lots of diversity and a lot of things that really don't exist elsewhere in the state
0: so let's talk about what makes kodiak a powerhouse here how large is the seafood processing workforce there
3: well the, the processing workforce I mean it's I mean it's it's I mean it's interesting and it's not just its size but for example on an annual basis um, in 2020 the, the processing side was about 1100. Of uh, folks. The harvesters are about um, uh, 550. Um, but what's the real remarkable thing about the processing workforce uh, is that it has the largest resident workforce. In other words, these are people that are helping process those rich resources that actually live in Kodiak. It's about 57% of their workforce are local residents. Um, And that's just, you know, compared to Bristol Bay, it's less than 1%. Um, There's no other place in the state that has such a large resident workforce. And one of the reasons why I can support that is, you know, Kodiak also has such a diverse fishery that those processing plants... Um, in Kodiak are humming along most of the year. It doesn't just happen in, you know, June, July, and August where you assemble a giant temporary workforce and bring them in and then they leave. There it's going on all year long. I mean, there are some times in this winter where they're almost as busy um, as they are in the summer.
0: And I understand that their catch is rather volatile but if they're year-round it may help with that
3: yeah i mean you know fishing is you know the definition of fishing is as is, is volatility i mean wherever you are um you know you know for example the price, the value of their salmon catch in and 20 um, 20 was 26, 27 million. Um, and then the, the next year it was, um, 47 million, and that's not uncommon. Or, you know, the price of Tanner was, um, four bucks a pound in 2020, and then this last year in 2022 was $8. But, you know, the, the amazing thing about Kodiak is, you know, they, they're they big harvesters in crab. They harvest halibut, herring, all kinds of ground fish, all kinds of shellfish, sable, um, crab, you know. And, you know, so one thing might not do very well one year, but the other thing does and makes up for it, you know. You know and that's the strengths of a diverse workforce. I mean some of us remember the giant king crab boom that took place that was centered in Kodiak until it basically disappeared um in the early nineteen eighties and they have not you know fished for king crab since then, but in spite of the fact that that incredible rich fishery basically disappeared and was such a big driver in Kodiak kodiak survived because of all these other fisheries and also sort of the emergence of the ground fishery the the pollock the cod and the the growth of that kind of backfilling some of those um, historic losses in the the crab industry and they still are a big powerhouse in the crab world it's just a different type of crab
0: but it's that diversity that's been helping them move past that
3: It, it sure has i mean it's just you know it's a it's it kind of is an amazing place, and I think because of its sort of isolation and it's on an island, and, and maybe it's because they're just really busy, um, so all, all you know almost all year long, and so much of the activity takes place by residents that live live, live there, maybe aren't going out and you know telling them about their experiences all around the state or the country. You don't hear much, as much about it as. Um, you might other places, even though um, what they do is pretty remarkable.
0: Well, Neil, I can tell you one thing I did not know was the seaweed industry there in Kodiak.
3: Yeah, and that's pretty new. I mean, that's a sort of a new development and another sort of adding to that, potentially adding to the, the diversity of, of their their ocean resources. And they also use, you know, unlike most places, they have found use for their fish weights. You know, they turn it into oils and meal and fertilizer, whereas so many other places are, are dumping that back into the ocean.
0: So tell us about how their tourism industry weaves into this.
3: Yeah, and, it, you know, almost everything does weave into their, um, into these fish resources. Um, you know, they have a pretty... Uh, you know, they took a big hit, of course, because of COVID, like everywhere else. But, you know, they have, you know, the cruise ships do come into um, Kodiak, although it's relatively small compared to other places. The, la- the pre-COVID, they got about 64,000 out-of-state visitors and about 26,000 cruise ship passengers. Uh, but So a majority of them were independents. But, um, you know, a lot of it's tied to... You know harv- harvesting their natural resources whether it's hunting for brown bears or going out on fish charters or, or going to lodges um, and others are you know just enjoying um, you know seeing the resources um, that that exist in Kodiak um, it's certainly not dominated by the visitor industry like you know much of southeast and, and some of the other parts of the state
0: with all this. Boat activity. How large is the Coast Guard's presence?
3: Coast Guard's huge. It's you know it's you know it's one of the biggest employers in Kodiak. It's one of the biggest Coast Guard bases um, in the United States. And of course, it's not just providing services to the local fleet, but you know they're doing the you know the whole Gulf of Alaska, Bering Sea, and um, it's it's a it's a huge presence there. Um, last count we had there were about 800 Coast Guard personnel and another 1,200 dependents, and that's expected to grow. Um, they're getting some more um, boats are coming in, so that's just going to expand. So it's a it's a very large. They have a very large um, presence in Kodiak, the big and one of the largest in the nation.
0: And so I imagine that helps with enforcement in the region, right?
3: You bet. And it's also, you know, a big employer. It provides a lot of stability to their economy as well. It's another leg to their economy. Well, Neil, is
0: there anything you'd like to add about your article today?
3: Well, the one other thing about diversity, since we were talking about their economic diversity, their population is pretty diverse as well uh, in Kodiak. Um, You know, it's a little over half white, but... Um, 24% of it's um, Asian, um, which makes it uh, has the highest con- seg- uh, second highest concentration of Asian population in the state, and about 13% are Alaska Native, um, and then there's some other smaller groups, but it's got a pretty diverse um, population as well.
0: So you've got a diverse catch, you've got a diverse economy, you've got a diverse population.
3: Yeah, no, that, that word really does describe um, Kodiak very well.
0: (laughs) Well, very good. Well, thank you for calling. You bet. And that's our program. We'll be speaking with Capital City Fire and Rescue on our next program. For now, though, thank you for tuning in this May 10th. This is Kevin Allen signing off. Join us next time for the latest from Alaska's newsmakers.